Here's Johnny. Hey, welcome to the Thodcast, conversations about animation. I'm your host, Philip Elke, and I'm podcasting from northern Minnesota. Also joined today by longtime Thodcaster Jody Pulaski, joining us from Georgia. How's it going, Georgia? Uh, See, I've done this before. I, I don't know. I, I think my enunciation is, um, is decayed over time. No, I'm, Jody, how are you doing out there in Georgia? I am doing great, but I was really hoping that my intro would be, here's Jody, and you'd start yeah. swinging an axe around. Oh, uh, but, yeah. <laughs> but I'm doing well. Um, luckily, like my company is back on tour again, and I feel busy. And the spooky season is two days away, October, which is Ooh. my favorite time of year. So this is a great time to be hopping in. I'm feeling really good energy with the brisk air and the pumpkins everywhere. Uh, and I'm excited to talk about The Shining. Thanks for <laughs> indulging me with this one. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, going to hold the uh, cards a little close um, as to sort of the topic. I mean, obviously, if you've seen the title of the episode, you know what we're talking about. Uh, but sometimes people just let their podcaster play on and flip over to the next thing that's up in the queue. So uh, keeping people in suspense, you know, can be done on a podcast um and but first off before we get into our uh, topic for today got to welcome back to the show my brother joining us from uh southern minnesota twin cities dawson how are you doing dawson yeah i'm good it's good to be back uh i'm excited to talk about the shining i was surprised when you said uh we're gonna do a non-animated uh, film but I'm very pleased uh, that I watched this one again. I forgot how good this movie is. So uh, I'm pumped. Jody's pumped about it. Yeah, it's pumpkin spice season. It's spook season. Let's go. Yeah. Um, and I feel like before we even talk about it, just for people who do typically listen when we talk about animation, like this movie is definitely a far cry from it. Like there's nudity and there is vulgar <laughs> language and there's blood. So if you're a kid listening, like this is one you could probably skip watching. But for people who are like 18 and up, I definitely recommend it. Okay, now we can. Go. That kind of contents and all the animated stuff I watch. Well, oh. It's uh, I'm, I'm just this, this movie. I mean, this I guess episode is perhaps a bit of a literary spotlight, uh, but it's definitely well within the bounds of what we like to cover here on the Thodcast. There was um, animation in it. They were watching some animated shows, and f one of the fun facts that I'll probably get to is there. Well, uh, probably now. Okay, no, it probably wouldn't have been animated, but maybe we'll we'll see. There was there was something that could have been in the movie that wasn't. It's and a lot of dynamic camera in this film. You know, I think it's very. I'm not as in moving film, camera film his, historian. Uh, yeah, like you, fixed cameras were far more popular. You know, in a certain period of film history prior to 1980 this this film is from 1980 and so a lot of you know newer technology was being um implemented around this time i mean star wars had the computer controlled cameras being used the, the uh, dykstra flex systems on on those vfx shots that you know enabled just such incredible precision in the cinematography but even prior to that you know you had steady cam um and and just more range of motion you know more compact um 
cameras being constructed these were this film was shot on re flex cameras and i think that's even that name might be a reference to the versatility um i i don't know i i'm not the greatest film historian like i said i haven't seen i honestly haven't seen that many of stanley kubrick's films um but this this movie does have a much more modern look and feel to it than um than definitely a lot of other movies from this era it has aged extraordinarily well yeah i think they're lucky because right out of the gate this movie had a 19 million dollar budget which i think in Mm. 1980 was a very like healthy amount and they came into it with really big players like you said philip having that steady cam it was actually the inventor garrett brown who got to use it in this movie and he (laughs) was obsessed at the opportunity because the director kubrick of the shining Um, was like a perfectionist so they would like film takes hundreds and hundreds sometimes even a thousand times so he really got to work on using the study cam and like use it filming the same thing over and over again what worked what didn't and he said that it was the perfect project for him and kind of like a priceless opportunity because like you said a lot of the scenes in this movie are kind of tracking Mm -hmm. the characters tracking the people and he said that for him it was it helped to move ahead leaps and bounds with his study cam that he had with him. I, I wow. need to stop you right there. Did you say that they they did a, a, up to a thousand takes of, of any yeah. given shot? It's actually uh, very sad. Um, it was a really difficult film to make, especially mm-hmm. for the character who plays Wendy. I believe her name <sighs> was Duvall, something yeah, Duvall. Actress Shelley I've heard, Duvall. I've heard horror stories. She heard it, uh, she said and it was I knew about the perfectionism. <laughs> but... Mm-hmm. A thousand takes. Yeah, especially she said there's this scene that they did. And I'm assuming most listeners have maybe watched this. The scene with the baseball bat Hmm. are towards the end of the movie. Once Jack has gone crazy where she's swinging and swacking. She had to do that over a hundred times in one day. And and Hmm. she would break down into tears, just exhausted. But the director was like, perfect. Hmm. Because I mean, that's the vibe he wanted to get out of her. He, He would push them and push them and push them. And I guess at the time she was going through like, a big breakup like she was traveling here and there for all these films but it was like 12 hours a day she was Mm. swinging a baseball bat crying emotionally exhausted so for her it wasn't the best film to work on Mm. but hopefully she looks back on it and realizes she was part of something bigger than herself uh but yeah i I heard it was it was i mean dawson knows he's been in filming and philip as well Mm. on set and i can't imagine doing the same thing over and I don't I don't think actors today I don't think most actors today would have would be willing to I think there'd be an attitude of this goes far beyond you know union or there should there ought to be a law against it you know we need to be protected from that sort of you know they would call something like doing 100 takes abuse probably um in in my soul it feels like something I would I would love like to work with a director who's like all right there's this scene on the stairs with a baseball bat. We need to do it a hundred times. And I'll be like, yes, whatever, whatever you need to get it right. Um, it would be, it would be grueling. It, I can't imagine. Honestly, I can't imagine, you know, that sounds absolutely miserable. And I did remember watching the scene this time, knowing that, I mean, how Jack Nicholson, by contrast, looks like he's fresh. Like he's just doing his thing. He's fine. But yeah, she's literally, I mean, at the end of her rope and uh, yeah, I kind of it seemed like the the events leading up to that. I mean, she'd certainly be like scared and 
and all that. But I mean, she's, yeah, she's about mm-hmm. to break down. I uh, think Kubrick gave Jack Nicholson a little more like love and attention because he selected him and he didn't really select Wendy. Um, but like Jack Nicholson, I guess, was allowed to like take naps in between his scenes, you know, but she wasn't. They really just kind of. Oh, like, no. Go, go, go. <laughs> I know. And you know, what's wild is like when they signed on to do this project, they signed on for 100 shoot days and then it became 250 shoot days. Holy so cow. it was double plus what they thought they were going to do. But yeah. I mean, like you guys said, it held up like it's iconic. So for the viewers, well worth it. But for the actors, tough yeah and man maybe it it probably could have and should have gone somewhat differently but but we have what we have today yeah see kubrick um i was (laughs) just talking to jody about the pronunciation beforehand i i can't even remember don't tell me how i normally way of pronouncing no i i i think it's actually just kubrick Kubrick. i I was thinking maybe kubrick but uh, yeah Um, I, I think I, I may be more partial to Kubrick. He, um, only did two more films after this, a full metal jacket. He was jacket. probably tired. Yeah. In, <laughs> Eyes wide shut in 1999. Well, that's the thing about perfectionists is that they're exhausted by everything they do because it's, you know, it requires excruciating amounts of analysis and detail to accomplish uh, their vision um and it, I, watched, I mean i watched five minutes of interviews with kubrick after watching the shining i thought I'd, i might as well do some research before this podcast and uh, mm. exactly to that point he he was accepting some award a, a lifetime award uh based off of some film director during the nickelodeon era who's incredibly famous i suppose in film history sure. uh but he said uh, anyone who's ever made a film knows that it can be like writing war and peace on a roller coaster while getting like beaten up by children or, or something to that effect okay. like it's just this uh horrendously complicated etc and he was having a conversation with steven spielberg one time where he asked steven what's the hardest part about making a film and steven said getting out of the car uh, when you, you oh. arrive on set <laughs> <laughs> you you you, dr- you drive to the location or to the studio and you sit and you take a deep breath and and just you know getting out i, go- I thought that was pretty neat. i relate to this heavily yeah. um the yeah he won one oscar for visual effects um first 2001 a space odyssey um, was nominated several times for best director best picture um best writing uh, but but the only one Oscar was visual effects on 2001 for his um, entire filmography. Yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. Pretty crazy. What were what were his two films after uh, Shining Full Metal Jacket and, and Eyes Wide, Eyes Wide Shut. Shut. OK, which yeah. I've never heard anyone talk about. So, um, yeah, are these those also in the horror film realm. Like, are those also like spooky <laughs> Full Metal Jacket isn't Eyes Wide Shut might be for there. I mean, scary. there are dramas and, you know, there's a lot of dark content contained within them. But I also don't think they're meant to be a full like a purely um, cynical or depressing view of humanity. I think the, most of his work has some kind of glimmer of hope in it. I mean, he's very cerebral filmmaker, very um, even this one does uh, yeah. a lot, I think, which is what helps me like as someone who's normally averse to horror films yeah. I, I genuinely love this movie i um and there's so many there's so many reasons why I, mm-hmm. it's to me it's it feels like classic literature of the horror genre um yeah. but 
Yeah, and then you know, it's based on a novel. Jody, you have read The Shining, and you have. Oh, you some- have. Ooh, I want yeah, to I share just on. read it. Okay. I just read it. And I'm not going to like bore everyone with like all the differences between like the novel and the movie. But if you like the movie, you really will love the book. And I'm yeah. like Dawson, like if someone suggests a scary movie, I'm usually not like the first one jumping into the seat. Like I'm not really into it, but I decided to finally read this one. And it's my first Stephen King book I ever read. And it is really good. I mean, it presents Jack as a very likable, actually well-intentioned character who's kind of like haunted by his demons of alcoholism and authority issues, um, who kindly gradually becomes crazy. Whereas like Jack Nicholson, I kind of feel like right off the bat, you feel like he's he's a jerk. already insane. Yeah, like yeah. don't you feel like even before he gets the job in the movie, he's like already crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh... I, I, I did. Oh, and it, sorry, in the again, I did a very brief amount of research after watching the film. Cause I was, I had a, a lot of questions and I, so I searched for some things and I'm so glad you've read the book uh, because what I was seeing was that uh, Stephen King did not like this film. Uh, and es- especially did not like uh, the casting of Jack Nicholson, which was so funny that you just mentioned that he got special treatment because, you know, Kubrick wanted him. him and loved him and everything. And it, you know, it, it perfectly lined up in Kubrick's vision, but to the writer of the story, track. And I completely. You know who he wanted? He wanted like Harrison Ford or Robin Williams to play the part. I can't, I know it's hard that, to picture now, but looking, I mean, he, he wanted it to be an everyday likable man that goes crazy. And so you like know, Robin Williams, there you go. That would have really worked too. I think it. I think no, it don't say that. Worked. Yeah. No. No. I, I think no. I well. So you, okay. So. Did you what do you think of then? So knowing that Stephen King hated the movie and you and really liked the movie and we all like love Jack Nicholson's performance. It's iconic. Mm-hmm. What do you how what do you think about the difference between the movie and the book kind of overall and, and the two characters? Do you prefer one over the other or? In general, when there's a novel that has a lot of internal dialogue, I feel like it really does struggle to kind of happen on screen because there's so many things they can think in their head as they're going crazy or they're falling in love or whatever you know Mm, it's really hard to translate that so I can kind of see why simplifying his character kind of making him not like a one-trick pony but kind of like he is crazy and now he's crazier I can see why it makes sense I I really like it actually I haven't seen it yet but Stephen King worked on another project called The Shining that's a mini series yeah. which is supposed to be more oh. closely adapted to the book and I should maybe see that and and kind of then decide but but I mean like I find this movie honestly flawless and I don't know if it's like rose colored glasses with it but I I love it like I think what Kubrick did with it was really really good I I feel bad that Stephen King didn't like it but like like, doesn't he have like a thousand books that are movies? Uh, yeah. I guess, he <laughs> um, a, I guess he wrote a script and like Kubrick like didn't read it. Oh yes. my gosh, that's insane. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I read. I don't know okay. if that's true, but he's like, here's a script. And then Kubrick's like, but no. And I guess Kubrick sense. actually changed a lot of things throughout filming. Like the the thing where he's like, here's Johnny, like breaking through the door. That's that's improv. Like that was not in you're, anyone's you're script. You're kidding. Yeah, okay. so I guess as, as even though I'm not, a perfectionist but he was a perfectionist that also like i guess allowed things to kind a lot of, of like ebb and flow well, naturally yeah. the production cycle of these films and this film especially i mean 
and, and of course the two films that came after which had gaps in excess of seven years between them it, this is like making animation this is like someone who's making an animated film where you are allowed to iterate um, as much as you're able to within a certain time frame and you can really control every single detail and that's hard to do in live action um yeah, but I... they did incorporate um you know ad-libbing and improvisation here too but to such a degree that like with so many takes you're going to have some gems to pick from yeah, continue. <laughs> so many takes. So, i it's uh, trivia smash inner i'm gonna smash through the door of the conversation since it's on topic with a trivia question for both of you which according to what i saw last night how many doors did jack nicholson chop through do you actually hmm. know i'm gonna guess like i, 30, I do 30 it's, well interest i <laughs> i wonder yeah they must have needed to you know get a, a carpenter to remount doors after each uh, attempt but I mean, there there are a couple doors within, you know, the, I guess, diegetically that he chops through. Yes, to get but to I mean, technically, in the, to make the film, how many, you know, yeah. doors? He... I, I don't know. I'll, I'll just guess um, 50. Uh, double Jody's answer. Oh 60, God, doors. 60 doors. Okay. Well, they had $19 million, so like... Yep. <laughs> good for them okay. i mean from what what we've heard of the way that it was made like that's no surprise to me now um but gosh i mean it had to be literally a physical workout to be this character mm. and like for those yeah. who maybe don't know jack torrance is this like winter caretaker at this isolated hotel which is built on like indian graveyards or <laughs> sorry native american 2021 uh native american graveyards or whatever and he's there and he's trying to like cure his writer's block and it's feeling more relevant than ever to watch this movie because anyone who sat at home for six months during quarantine, like, you mm. know, that feeling of isolation, you know, that feeling of being stir crazy. And I feel like watching it this year as compared to other years, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I can relate a little bit more to being like an artist who like can't create and like can't do things. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if we even talked about like the main storyline, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's who Jack is, is he's, he's a writer. He's an artist. The war of art um, and clearly a character who's seemingly had like a midlife crisis uh, and there, his alcoholism is mentioned on multiple occasions. Um, he was a school teacher. And this is an interesting analog, I feel, to Stephen King and himself, who started off as a school teacher, um, from what I recall and became an author as well. Uh, is that, are you familiar with that aspect? Yeah, of and he struggled yeah. with alcoholism for a very long time and now he's mm. sober and, you know. Yeah, did a lot but, of drugs too. Yeah, he really struggled with the influences. And I think when he wrote this, you can see for sure in the novel, a lot of that. And I mean, you can also see it in the movie, especially when he's talking to Lloyd, um, there's that scene where he's asking about his credit and he wants the whole bottle. And then he's finally, I think throughout the movie, he, he does reference alcohol, but, but in the book, it's really a heavy, heavy, heavy theme is by like fighting that addiction. Yeah. Uh, that it's very heavy theme in the, in the movie. Um, where, where do you know, in, in Stephen King's publishing discography, book, or whatever you call it, uh, bibliography, uh, bibliography, uh, where the shining falls. 
I mean, if the movie came out in 1980, the book must have been written before that. It was that. 77, and so it was only three years before the movie. What, so how, Stephen King must be old as heck. Um, he, did Was he an established, famous writer at this time, or was The Shining like a new... Was he a new... I don't even know. Well, like, he, he's, uh, I, I'm guessing, in his 70s, um, born in... Okay, he's 74 years old. He, uh, he had been writing prior to that because, like, he wrote Carrie, his, which is another super famous one. Which, third that was published 73. novel. Correct. Okay. Oh, it's only his third. It's his third. Wow. Wow. And it's success. It. Should have stopped there. Yeah. Well, no, um. I mean, because he <laughs> continues on to do a lot. And I haven't seen all of his books turned movies. I know that It is one that was popular, Pet Cemetery, Carrie, mm. Rosemary's Baby. But I haven't watched these because, again, it's not my genre. But I should. Yeah. I should. Yeah. So many. I, I don't I've heard about I don't want to watch Pet Cemetery. <laughs> is it really like, bad? No, it seems scary, like really scary. I it don't know. Probably is scary. I've seen the new one. You can't always I heard that was you... bad. Hmm. So like who knows? Because I just went to today, Dear Evan Hansen, and everyone was like, boo, one star <laughs> out of five. And I was like, oh, you know what? Like, I'd give it a three star out of five. So it's, sometimes you can't trust fine. the reviews. Yeah, no, it's you okay. definitely, you definitely can't. I know you can't. Um uh, scary so so you could get pet cemetery the, like a try maybe maybe we don't know what's the name ben um the, the Platt. actor Platt, geriatric ben Platt. i know <laughs> like, everyone's gonna, so sorry. hard on him i i haven't seen it i'm i'm sure i'd be okay with it i don't know uh, but actually speaking of like actors and roles or whatever and i think actually one of you mentioned school teachers you want to know what i found was really interesting mm. the actor who played danny um he was five or six at the time of filming and all the other actor, ch child actors, their parents like pulled them from the project because it was like too gruesome, too scary, whatever. And finally they got this kid, Dan his actual name is Danny. Um, oh. Tolman or something? Philip might know. Oh, the actor who plays Danny's, uh, yeah. the, his last name's Lloyd. His, uh, Danny Lloyd. Yeah, Danny okay. Lloyd. So he plays Danny Torrance in this movie. He only filmed, he thought he was filming a drama like he had no idea it was a scary movie because his parents made them like agree to only film like privately with him sure. or like the calm scenes while he was around. Um, sure. And he didn't actually know the premise of the movie until he was 16. And then his parents let him watch it. And <laughs> uh, he didn't act amazing. again. He didn't act again. He like went on to be a biology professor. Oh, cool. Yeah. That, he was like, I All right. That. Well, like I was Danny and I read, rah, read, read. Rah. and then yeah. This was, like, how do yeah. they do that with kids? Like, how do they have kids? I was wondering I mean, that Dawson the whole as an time. Actor, like, when you have a five-year-old, how do you tap into that absolute, the faces he makes, the energy he gives? Like, how do actors? Kids, kids do it. Kids do it completely differently. Uh, you, kids have kids are kids are naturals or they're not. Um, it, like, yeah. and, and an adult is someone who has to think about, oh, how do I tap in? How do I become the character? And kids, either they just get it and they do it or, the, or they don't. Um, and that's what's so magical about, about kid actors. Um, yeah. Well, uh, the, and if you've been on a set, you know, people comment on how movies are so sensational and provocative and you know meant to be like titillating and manipulative and you know all sorts of evil and if you've ever been on a film set it's like the most mundane thing possible it's mostly yeah. just 
people milling around and just a lot of downtime as you know they're getting the setups in place and a lot of wooden coverage. doors coming in and out more <laughs> doors more doors yeah the least glamorous thing ever right. there's so a like- huge disconnect between the tone of a film set and then hopefully the tone of the final product um except for sometimes uh definitely like there it's are annoying. moments when you know everyone okay we're about to film this scene and and then you know the uh, the finish moving the equipment around and uh, they say, okay, quiet on set, cut the bullshit. And then everyone kind of tunes in, like the whole crew and everyone. And then, you know, we set up the scene and then the scene happens. And it's like, and sometimes you do feel on set the way that you want the scene to feel when it's on camera. But most of the time, yeah, it's like, you know, a kid can be on a, you know, oh, I'm, I'm covered in blood and I'm a six-year-old. Isn't this fun, mom? Yes, it's very fun. Yeah. It's going to yeah. be horrifying when the movie comes out. But yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine being the parents watching it, I guess. And I guess like his acting coach who was like helping him like with the red, here's Tony, you know, all Mm -hmm. his like little things. They like helped him with the finger to like help him pretend like, so the finger thing is not in the book, like the wiggly finger, like the character, the actor started doing that. And then they just let it be incorporated (laughs) into it. So like it like helped him do it. That's so cool. The finger is never part of it. And that's kind of like something that he brought into it. I love it. I I mean, I look at the thing when, when Tony's talking and the finger, I look at the finger and I think like, Oh my gosh, here's this little worm guy. I don't know. (laughs) In the book, in the book, is it, is there someone living in his mouth? No, not in his mouth. I mean, so this movie, obviously the son, Danny is kind of plagued by psychic premonitions and almost like a sixth sense. Um, Mm -hmm. And in the novel, Tony is very like helpful almost. Like it's sort of like guiding him to be, like it's not this scary thing. You know, in the movie, there's a scene where he's like, Danny's gone, Mrs. Torrance. He's not coming back. That's like to almost like preserve his innocence, like to protect him from the horrors around him. Because as a five-year-old, like, first of all, maybe you shouldn't be isolated in a hotel with like your murder dad, but also like he can see things. He can like sense these things that have happened in the hotel decades ago, centuries ago. Hmm. And um, Tony's really trying to protect them. He's not in his mouth though. He's in his head. I don't know why they, it's weird that he says there's a man. Living yeah. In That's his explanation for it in the film. You know, right. The text a, of a kid, a kid, a five-year-old describing, you know, where, where's Tony? Well, he's in my yeah. mouth, I guess, I, you know, yeah, we um, share a mouth. <laughs> we, yeah. yeah, and if um, I can, I'll just, I don't know, kind of ramble very briefly about what works, what makes this film so interesting and why I love it so much as a horror film, um, is that it it doesn't fall neatly into, into typical horror genres. Like, it's not a ghost horror movie and it's not a demon horror movie. Like, even Tony, I, I love that he's not, an outright malevolent force. And it, he, he, I don't, I would, I don't think he's a malevolent. He, clearly he like is looking out for Danny and he gives, you know, he warns the mom, the red rum. Like, it's so funny. It's almost like this, uh, this tension of opposites because the red rum scene when he's writing red rum and lipstick on the door. And when he's chanting it at his, at his mom, it's scary, but he's warning her. So like, it's a mm-hmm. scary thing, but it's a good thing. And Tony kind of like, is that sense of, you know, when he says Danny isn't here right now, like that's the ho- most horrifying thing ever, but he doesn't necessarily mean it in this evil way. Like I'm, I'm, it's so cool that in the book that it's, it's more explicit that he's trying to protect his innocence. Um, And just, you know, they never, 
they never say that this is a haunted hotel. Like the word haunted is never used and word demon is never right. used. And like, even, you know, magic is, uh, cause I, it, how they set it up, even in the beginning, the, the meeting with Mr. Ullman and how he explains the tragedy in the past. He's like, I should tell you this thing happened. A guy murdered his family with an ax. And, and then he doesn't say, and now some people believe the hotel is haunted. He just says, I understand why that would make some people uncomfortable and not want to stay here. And it's like, yes, it just, it, the era of, of supernatural, it's like, yeah, it's supernatural, but not explicitly ghosts, not explicitly demons, not explicitly, um, you know, slasher film. It's, it's like this whole nebulous, numinous, ominous, supernatural place uh, where I love how Dick Callahan says that, you know, some people, and it also sets up that they live in a a world with, it's like a fantasy, you know, almost like Harry Potter. Like there are people out there with magic powers. Um, And then he says some places are like people and it's just fantastic. Yeah. I like, I like that. It's presented very straightforward. It's, I mean, it's a stylized film, but not overtly so. Because it's, it, it's like not a surrealist. Oh, that was another thing. Yeah, like realistically just, stylized. Yeah, because it, it, it borders on like surrealism and, and at the abstract. But um, I love the, uh, the, the black screens where it, it gives you the, you know, a month has passed or where it tells you the days. It's like it, I, it didn't even need to do that necessarily. But every time it does, you're like, oh, this is grounded in reality. This is grounded in time. Um, and yeah. we're not in just a wibbly wobbly abstract. Like there is the supernatural and the surreal is infringing upon a very real place. The, the temporal um, reality of the situation is. Uh, I love and I love when he goes into the the just when because there's no I don't know how to define what these moments are and what's happening. But when he goes like suddenly the hotel is full of people in the jazz age and he's talking to yeah. Lloyd's there and Grady's there. Mm-hmm. They're not ghosts and they're not demons. They're just something else completely. And I love it. Yeah. Right. I was telling Philip before we started recording something interesting that I read in a review is he's in the movie. He's only seeing these ghosts or these, these spirits when he, so Lloyd Grady, um, the woman in the bathtub, like mm. um, he's only able to see those people when there's a mirror in the room and that's supposed to make you question like is he talking to himself because when he's talking to Lloyd there's a mirror behind Lloyd when he's talking to Grady there's a mirror behind Grady the woman in the bathroom there's a mirror in the bathroom and in the book that's not really a thing but I thought that was really an interesting thought like wait maybe it is haunted but like is it like is are you seeing his perspective like is him as the narrator like showing you these people but like they're not you know like uh, you could really look at it that way as well which is, is something this... i never caught with the mirrors yeah. are all the supernatural elements purely just pathology on the part in of the, the characters novel, in the novel no in the novel they're like concrete like they leave balloons behind they leave streamers behind like the, yeah. the, the wife can see it the kid can see it like the the spirits are definitely like they're there like they're it's, it, it is it is a haunted hotel and even in the For movie sure. like it is yeah. a haunted hotel but i just love that no one ever says this is a haunted hotel right it, they don't say it it just they yeah. show it and you feel it and uh and i feel like that's probably why we like it because especially if all of us are admittedly like non-horror people like what you find in this movie is the 
scariness is in like almost the negative moments, like Mm. in between the moments is where you like build the fear. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem with a lot of horror movies that I've seen are the things that don't sit well with me is like, it's too much. Like, it's like too much going on. Mm. And like you said, like in this, they like take moments to ground you again. Like now it's October. Let's Mm -hmm. ground ourselves. Like now it's Tuesday at 8 a.m. Let's ground ourselves. Like let's bring us back to reality. And like that almost makes it like creepier because yes yeah master class and build up and there's Mm -hmm. moments there's there are much needed moments of relief i'm so thankful for the moment when she radios in Mm. and is able to reach somebody like they they could have got oh she can't reach anybody like the radios don't work at all my cell phone has no service yes exactly (laughs) or and and when she gets a hold of them they didn't have to cut to the scene of the of the radio operating room and show other actors and other human beings they could have kept everything completely isolated you're only with you know her and you maybe hear another voice on the other but they just they cut to a scene of a mundane guy in a mundane radio room talking to a lady and i'm like oh i just i feel like i'm like oh there's more people like and i'm not alone anymore you know i didn't think about that while i was watching it but so true and i mean it's not the exact same thing but there's scenes where um, Danny's watching TV and it's like, tonight we're going to have a stormy. Yeah, like it's yeah. kind of like, it's like the news is on. Like the, yes. the rest of the world is still functioning and going right. on. Like you're not just, you're right. I didn't think about that watching it, but you're not just like these people are in a house and like we're doomed. Like the, right. the world is happening. Like there's some place to escape to. There's, there's life outside of this. You're right. That really mm-hmm. does make the place even more haunted. And anyway. adds to the dreamlike yeah, yeah. quality. Is, oh, yeah, not, for sure. It's not just totally relentless and sadistic. Um, you know, there are some movies that are like that. And that's kind of the point. I mean, there's, the, you know, space for that type of media. Um, but I, I do like something like this where, you know, you can really uh, just take time to, to absorb yourself in this world and not you know be as quick to maybe just totally dissociate from it like danny does uh when you know during certain t- moments in yeah film. but i don't know if, can you think of any movies that are just super relentless and depressing i mean i think you're of even... hansen <laughs> like well, it's constantly maybe. sad like there's no break there's no like there's no timon and pumba there's no like comedic yeah. relief oh like, really that, that's just like a long sad movie I thought well, in the, the music. I thought the musical had an overall lighthearted tone, even though it was dealing with suicide. I because I've heard clips of songs and they're peppy. Yeah, I I mean, and and they sound yeah. like it sounds like garbage musical theater. But um, yeah, it to I, me yeah. it was like lo- one long sad movie. I can't okay. think of another example because okay. that's fresh on my mind. So like, well, I, I saw. Know, like, Old uh, M Night Shyamalan. Old, yes. you did see yeah. that. Oh, it's oh. good, but it's okay. also I like went two times. Sadistic. You saw old oh, too, gosh. Jody. <laughs> two times. Okay, I heard nothing about it. I mean, it had it had the campiest like premise where I was like, okay, I either this, I thought it was, I was ninety percent sure it was going to be an M Night Shyamalan miss, but you're telling me it was a hit. It's it's you know unconventional. What? I had to watch. Yeah, I was gonna say the second time it's like I was almost going back to be like, wait, was I sure it was bad? And then I went to it and I was like, yeah, but you know what's cool about it? And I love stuff like this. You know, the plot is they're on an island and yeah. the beach, and you can cut this out, Philip. But but aging rapidly every half hour is like five years or something. He had the idea of this because you know when you're a little kid playing in the bathtub and your hands get wrinkly. Mm-hmm. Oh he, yeah. Yes. So that is what kind of made him think like, what if like water 
turned us into old people like what if the beach like he had this thought of this movie like years decades before he brought yeah. it to life and I, that, I thought that was fun but that is another yeah. one that i love the idols. concept yeah yeah it idols it's suspenseful the build is not right whereas like with the shining the build mm. is to me very well paced like you it grows to this frantic climax yeah. takes time um, to breathe and with yeah. old it, you don't feel that with old it's sort of like it's very repetitive in the okay. plot um, so well, and as constantly, uh, uh, you're literally racing against the everyone's clock. Everyone's dying. Uh, every, that's uh, that sounds like a, a wonderful little trip to go on. Um, I mean, one criticism maybe one could try to make about The Shining is that uh, it does take too long, but they'd be <laughs> wrong. Of course, that would be incorrect. I mean, it, it needs that. It just yeah. it isn't. It is. It takes its time. It has really long shots. Mm -hmm. That, and I think that was a common critique know. because I heard some releases took out um, scenes to Surely. better, you know, to match the audience. Because, I mean, think about a typical theater audience, you know, at a movie. After two hours, yeah. a lot of people are wiggly. Cut, like a, you know, yeah, yeah, for commercials, if, you know, this aired on TV and stuff. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, I, like there's scenes where Danny is riding his trike through the hallways and nothing happens, but you need that. I mean, it's, it, ah, man. Yeah, Brown needed to use his uh, steady cam. So he's like, let's do that scene a little longer. Let's, I guess he like would have it on a wheelchair yeah. sometimes and be following him through. He also was the one who filmed wow. that fighting scene on the stairs with on from Rocky. Did you guys ever see Rocky? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I did see Rocky. Um, there's a fighting scene on the stairs? No, not a fighting. I guess he's like once. working out. He's like working out on the yeah, stairs. Yeah, and he runs up the stairs, yeah. Yeah, that's sure. the same camera, I guess, that like filmed Danny. Like, oh, you're Christ cling all around the town. You're telling me that. So, okay, so that was, I think that's the coolest bit of, yeah. of fact of, in this podcast I've learned so far. The steady cam inventor. They used it on this film. Yeah, Garrett I, Brown. I'll it's such it a ubiquitous, it's a ubiquitous piece of camera equipment that's on even, you know, student films. Sometimes yeah. these days yeah. they can get a hold of one. Yes, and... he's an American inventor, the creator of the Steadicam, and he used it in Rocky as well as The Shining and Return of the Jedi. Uh, Garrett? Wow. Garrett Brown. Garrett Brown. Okay, there we yep. go. Thank you, Garrett. You, Not you, to be confused changed. with Garrett Brown Jr. or Garrett M. Brown, also in the theater entertainment industry. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought that was super cool too. And for me, it really works. Maybe for some people they didn't like it, but I'm almost... I've seen it a thousand times and I'm still, when he's turning the corners, I'm like actively looking to be uh -huh. sure that there's like not something around the corner. So for someone uh, like me, it, it works well. Mm -hmm. um, there, there is um, sort of all the subliminal messaging that people will pour over and obsess. Yeah, over tell us the <laughs> it's, it's really oh, not worth getting all that into um, I mean, even that documentary from 37 has a little moment where they kind of poke fun by you know, playing a clip of the scene where Jack says to Lloyd, anything you say, Lloyd, anything you say. It's just like all these guys on it. It's basically pre, pre, uh, presaging, you know, our modern conspiracy Internet culture. I mean, it's a 2000 or a 2012 documentary room 237 and just all mm. the little connections that people have made between this film and things like the moon landing and that but also love. 
<laughs> Dawson, do you know about this one? I think uh, there's grains there, of truth. I, in I saw I saw a thumbnail on YouTube for a video that said Stanley Kubrick admits to faking the moon landing. <laughs> and I didn't click on it. Because... Danny is wearing that little Apollo 11 knitted sweater. Do you know what we're talking about? Oh, like no, I don't. OK, so Danny, the little boy, he has these really cute knitted sweaters. And mm -hmm. when he gets attacked by the woman in room 237, he's wearing an Apollo 11 sweater and yeah. to some people out on the internet this was the big admission that kubrick also helped film the fake landing on the moon and he was That's feeling cool. guilty about it and this was his yeah. release of the big secret like I, I here's, mean, it's not true, here's the but... thing uh, the the moon landing and the space race was such a tremendous um effort on the part of you know, the U.S. government, it was just yeah. this massive campaign um, with, you know, huge expenditures, including, I'm guessing, for PR and marketing, which would have included plenty of, you know, film work, film crews um, putting together, you know, projects to help promote the space program. And they probably did build space sets and moon sets to, you know, to supplement you know, the footage that they actually got from outer space. Um, so, I mean, the, the, rumors the, could abound. Sure. I, yeah, my, I guess I, I learned, I heard a good a recent, uh, if you can obviously deep dive into conspiracies as much as you want, but a good, just a quick sniff test is, uh, is how many people is they for a conspiracy to be true. So for the moon landing, for instance, uh, if that, let's say that's all fake, how many people are involved in making keeping that conspiracy alive? Well, it's it's everyone in government. It's everyone at NASA. Mm -hmm. It's it's a bunch of filmmakers. It's a bunch of actors playing astronauts. It's a it's every astronaut who's ever, you know, been how many oh, people yeah. that like could would have to have been involved and that could have come out and admitted it by now or like yeah. professed right. to it by now. And it's uh, it's a lot of people to keep that. Whereas, like, I don't know, some of the some of the big tech conspiracy stuff, it's like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and Jeff Bezos could have a phone call and like establish something, you know, yeah. it, that's and, two people yeah. to keep a secret. That's that's actually like I've never really heard of it sort of put into thinking of it like that. But I, I think that's a really good that is a good sniff test. I think we can take like the moon landing theory out of this one because you're right. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, people I mean, who go to extreme lengths right. like the moon land the moon landing was fake and I mean there's as much credence to that as you know the earth is flat. But then there's a guy in that documentary who thought maybe all the footage that was shown from the moon was fake and that was constructed by Stanley Kubrick on a set. And that's not accurate either because no, they did get a lot of footage from the moon. You know, they they were able to mm -hmm. put cameras on the rockets and and bring them, you know, on the craft, you know, the Eagle craft that landed on the moon. This and and the subsequent moon missions as well. Yeah. So. Although but. I wouldn't put it past him because, like, as far as the set for The Shining, you know, you're saying like working on the set with the moon. Mm -hmm. uh, According to what I read, like the snow maze, you know, the hedge, mm -hmm. it wasn't snow. It was 900 pounds of salt and styrofoam. So they did Stop create it. some very convincing, like yeah. I could see them making a very good moon movie. Like that, that snow looks mm -hmm. real. 
to me. Wait, mm-hmm. it did. And they, well, and they ran through so many sections of it. Did they just 900 pounds of salt like, and they moved uh, it around probably to, Oh my word. I oh. had 250 shooting days. Yeah. So like, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I, I would be surprised if Stanley Kubrick never consulted with NASA because he did direct 2001, a space odyssey. Right. So he'd want as much verisimilitude with, you know, our real world space program as he could get, I imagine. Um, but I, I don't know the extent. I don't know the extent to which he might have worked with NASA and maybe he did film some things for them. I won't be surprised. There was one other one that's not so much a theory, but kind of like, I, would you call it like a vibe that Kubrick like brought to it? So like uh, Kubrick didn't believe in hell. Like he doesn't believe in heaven or hell. He's probably like, I guess an atheist or I don't know. He doesn't believe in heaven or hell. So some people think that he brought into this movie like, a lot of feelings of like the immortality of evil and like how evil even after death like continues to exist into spaces mm-hmm. like like the hotel like the overlook hotel so a lot of people have talked about that how he brought that into it and i mean you can kind of dig deeper into it but i thought that was kind of interesting when filmmakers or directors bring some of their own personal beliefs into it because like that was a cool way of thinking it because i guess like stephen king okay in the book spoiler alert if you're gonna read the book in the book at the very end the boiler explodes and the entire hotel explodes i heard this that's crazy how different Mm. that is yeah and kubrick was like all right like we're not gonna have it explode that's just a cliche like we're not gonna go there i mean at first i thought it was a budget thing but they had a lot of money and it wasn't a budget thing and so he liked the idea of this, these haunts to like forever be, you know, in between, like they weren't going to hell, like they were always going to be around and they were always mm-hmm. going to be haunting, which I thought was interesting. And I mean, Stephen King didn't like that, but like, would you guys have preferred an end to be a giant explosion or do you like how it ends? Do you like the ending of before, how it goes? Oh, yes, go before that, before uh, answer that, I, uh, I heard that he, he tells his family to leave the hotel before it blows up so explain explain that in the novel like i said earlier in our recording like he starts as this everyday man this working joe and throughout the novel he keeps coming back to his self his reality and reminding himself like this isn't me like this is the hotel bringing the worst out in me and so at the very end he's chasing danny away from these the animals come to life the animals yes yes (laughs) which is what i was hinting at at the beginning as there could have been animation in this movie if they had done animated animals (laughs) i'm so happy they didn't do that there's these topiary topiaries is that what you call them yep these big like hedges created into animals and i think in the when they made this movie in the 80s it would have ended up looking really cheesy so i'm happy they did it But in the book, they come to life like it's this dog chasing them, and it's it's a giant hedge, but it's these animals. So he's he's chasing Danny, and the hedges are chasing Danny. These animals, and he like kind of snaps out of it and realizes like what he's doing, and he takes the mallet and he smashes his own face in. He kills himself oh. in the book, and oh then the hotel gosh. blows up. And there's kind of like an ending scene with Danny, Wendy, and um, the cook they they all survive it uh and they have like this happily ever after in the book like there's a very like nice little neat little bow i love that he lives i hate when he dies and so Mm. sad and it's like he makes Mm. it all the way there for what like he walks in the door and he's like 
I mean, it's yeah. it's excellent for a horror suspense film, you know, that all of that hope and build up to just suddenly get snuffed out. But yeah. um, it's but I but I love that he lives in the book. I I prefer that personally. And it's a, it's a very clean ending. And I uh, guess that's common for Stephen King to have a very clean resolution. Hmm. Um, which I in this movie, that. I mean, it sort of ends with you see this picture and uh, Jack Nicholson <sighs> is in the picture. And yeah. it kind of leaves the audience wondering, like, wait, is it what? is this hotel timeless? Like, what is going like, hmm. was he there? Is he here? Like, what? What? Yeah. You know, yeah, this movie plays with the supernatural in a very subtle mm-hmm. way. And, and perhaps the only explicit, like physical manifestations of the supernatural are when Jack escapes the pantry, um, presumably, you know, it being a unlocked ah. by the spirit of the hotel or the spirit of Grady, Grady uh, you know, unless some people, some people theorize that um, Danny unlocks it. Um, that's stupid. <laughs> yeah. in, in order to, uh, you know, have him be led out into the snow so he can be left to die. Correct. So he can uh. correct Danny and his wife. Like when Grady's well, like, you need to correct them. I'm like, Ugh. yeah, yeah. He, yeah, I mean, Jack them. wants to, oh. you know, he, he's mur- he's got murderous intent for his family, but Danny may also um, intentionally try to kill his father as well. That that's perhaps some subtext. That's um, you know a possibility on his part. Maybe not fully consciously because Danny, you know, it, it has. It, questionable agency within the film because of the way he's often taken over by this you know tony spirit and you know he's got the shine that leaves him susceptible to uh, supernatural forces uh, but then also we have the the portrait at the end which is clearly you know jack nicholson appearing in a mm. 1920s setting um so he i mean which kubrick <laughs> said in, in an interview uh that uh he says that por- that picture suggests reincarnation so okay. that wasn't kubrick oh. putting his final he wasn't saying definitively this was my intention as a director or whatever but you know he said yeah. as much which uh makes and then grady has that interesting line about you know uh he's like but you're the caretaker now and you've always oh, been the caretaker yeah. sure and that, as so some people, so one of the theories is that um, there are numerous Overlook Hotel um, characters who reincarnate and are drawn back okay. to the hotel. Like, they're, like uh, Jack mm-hmm. Torrance will be born and then he'll end up at the hotel and he'll die. And then he'll be born again and he'll be drawn back to the hotel. And same with Grady. And same with, yeah. I guess, technically everyone in the hotel, maybe. Um you know, all the happy flappers or something. It's a, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a loop of fate and destiny. Yeah. Uh, a lot of influential storytellers, I feel like, deal in broad themes like yeah. destiny and the, the hero's journey and also family, uh, which this right. heavily um, contains here. Spielberg, like all his movies, are, have a, a lot to do with family. That, that single moment that they constantly, that they will not constantly, but they do repeatedly refer back to um, where Jack got rough with Danny. Yeah. Um, dislocated. Dislocated his shoulder. Um, it's presented in such a way where, you know, you're immediately, you're like, I mean, when she tell first, when you first hear about it, she's telling the, telling the lady doctor, 
um, or psychologist or whatever she is. Um, she tells the story and, and you're like horrified. You feel like she's downplaying it because um, yeah. you were all, uh, you know, thinking that's, that is abuse and that's really rough and scary. But, but then she says, but ever since he's been a changed man and he hasn't mm-hmm. drink, he hasn't drunk a drop. He's like, and it's like, Oh, okay. So it is a guy who made a really horrible mistake, regretted it so deeply that he did change. Uh, but it's like, the evil traumatic history of the hotel plagued on a single moment of traumatic evil in this own man's mind. And then like, just, just brought it back. I I don't know. Yeah. It's like the, yeah, there's something about a moment that is, that should be able to be kind of forgiven and forgotten and left in the past, but that it is, uh, Hmm. it's just haunting to this day. I don't know. Well, the hotel is called the Overlook. Um, oh, that's and funny. It's uh, th- this movie seems to touch on just the interconnected nature of all things, um, the, the way things s- subtly and subliminally affect each other. Mm-hmm. You know, the various forces of even social change. You know, the the white man's burden. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> the. Uh, <laughs> The influx of immigrants that took over, you know, historically Native American lands and, you know, how a battle, a battle was yeah. fought during like during in the in the story a battle was fought during the construction of the hotel and, and people yeah. died. Native Americans yeah. died. And these things like, leave a trace and they leave a trace. And then, you know, a man dislocating his son's shoulder leaves a trace mm-hmm. and you know, alcoholism leaves a trace and yeah. you know yeah. and racism leaves a trace all that stuff and the room yeah. 237 documentary has more to do with this concept than mm-hmm. you know moon conspiracies but yeah it, it's more heavily oh, it does? It, yeah it, it focuses more so on that focuses oh, more yeah on you know western expansion and the holocaust this film class struggle possibly being yeah like a direct um well i mean Kubrick's most direct addressing of the Holocaust. Um, he he did have a film in development called the the Aryan Papers, I believe, mm. uh, but he never got around to making it. And the fact that Spielberg directed Schindler's List, he he mm. produced Schindler's List. Um, you know, kind of gave Kubrick an out saying, you know, Spielberg already did his Holocaust movie. Yeah. You know, we don't need another one. Um, and, and yes. I know the two were very close collaborators. Was it the case where Spielberg agreed to do Schindler's List if Kubrick agreed to do like AI or something? But then oh, I don't know Kubrick that. died. Yeah. So then Spielberg took over on producing AI and, and directed it as well. Um, I didn't know that was a movie. AI. Artificial intelligence. You haven't seen it. it. It was. Uh, yeah. No. Oh, was it a big so deal? Good. I mean, I don't Illegal. know if it's a big deal, but like it it tugs at your heartstrings. And like, I think anything with artificial intelligence, like it gets you questioning what it means yeah. to be human. And I love movies like that. I haven't uh, seen it actually. Oh, you guys, <laughs> Whoa, okay. here we go. it's no longer an animated podcast. We are now like going into the sci-fi horror film. No, uh, no animation I mean, and Frozen. And this movie has a lot of Frozen. <laughs> oh yeah. And references. Yeah, Philip didn't even answer your uh, question fully, and maybe I didn't even either about like what you thought of the ending. Would you have preferred a fire explosion versus? Well, I I am really intrigued by the original vision of the author and the and how the whole story plays out in the book. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's 
terrific and and beautiful and really powerful. Uh, well, the idea of a boiler building up and then finally exploding seems like it it has it has obvious um, parallels to a person's yeah. Jack and yeah. psychology yeah. and stuff like that. Um, so I do like I do like that idea. Um, obviously being yeah. frozen of- and running through the maze okay. and then that that final shot of jack w- looking up with you know frozen do you dead think jack that's cheesy it's, it's, or do you think it's wow well, what do you think about that they're, they're i both- love how shocking it is it's just it 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 cuts to that that's i love weird. that I love the that. metaphor works either way with the novel it was an emphasis on the you know pot boiling over so to speak uh with in terms of uh, jack's psyche and then in in the film it's you know he's a man who's frozen in time and mm-hmm. he'll always be you know yeah. stuck in this place where he was always destined to be you know that isn't in oh sorry jody Do you- no i was gonna say like i like that a lot the thought of that timelessness or being like frozen in time originally there was one more scene but like it got too long uh, where they never find his body. They just find the tennis ball that he's been throwing all around the hotel, that, that yellow oh, tennis ball. Yeah. And you never find the body. But then for some reason, I'm not sure why they opted the frozen thing. And I, mm. I don't know. that. I, but I do like that, Philip. I like that you said like frozen in time because I do think that's what he wanted. He wanted to yeah. be part of this. Yeah. So well, it is, he was possessed by the hotel or whatever happens to him, you know. It's he, visually he and thematically striking for sure yeah the um one thing that really sparked my imagination about the uh, documentary is the parallels between the holocaust and human creativity or perhaps Uh. the drive of art or Mm. perhaps the the lack thereof and the the desire to suppress or to conquer and how it's so much easier oftentimes to conquer than it is to create to appropriate rather than to produce. Um, and in this case, Jack sits at the typewriter and all he can manage is, you know, a single sentence. It looks like he has a pretty heavy outline sitting next to him, like a, a binder full of pictures and You know things, what that's supposed to be? What like, is it? Big insider tip. Like they decided to cut this plot line, but it's supposed to be a scrapbook of the history of the hotel. And in the novel, he's writing a book about the hotel and the hotel's ghosts are trying to stop him from exposing the the, the secrets of its past. So oh, that, wow. that, that is supposed to be what's sitting next to him in the film is supposed wow. to be the scrapbook, which is supposed awesome. to have all the secrets of the hotel in it. Yeah, I mean, have any That's of you- So read the book, everyone, yeah. <laughs> uh, have either of you done something tantamount to uh, Jack Torrance just sitting there and repeatedly typing the same sentence over and over again. Has anything in your life resembled that action? You know, as as mon- something as mundane as like a school project or <laughs> work. I mean, can you think of anything? The I only thing I can hit. think of that I do that's like totally thoughtless and creates nothing and is not productive is like scrolling social media. I do that for like two hours and I'm like, what like in the moment I feel like I'm doing something and then I look back on my day and I'm like literally I was walking I was literally typing all work and no play makes Jack a doll boy like I got nothing yeah so that's something I could relate to that but as far as project it's like Mm -hmm. I'm pretty that's a good I I would yeah I would agree relate to that hard heartily 
I, I procrastinate a lot too. It's, um, I mean, and, and even like, um, just for a survival job, I, I did lift, you know, uh, ride share work and I've, I've given over 15,000 rides. Whoa. Um, so, I mean, I, and I'm proud of that. Like I, you, yeah. you know, I was doing a service, uh, something that people appreciated and I, I don't regret a minute of it, but, um, it, it really just sort of piled up quite a bit in the uh, book. He, he has a big fear of doing something like that, that kind of could feel like a menial task, like, like yeah. driving someone or being like a janitor or being, you know, whatever he, in the book, it really, he's really terrified of not leaving a mark on this yeah. world, which I mean, wow. we're all artists. Like, I feel like we could all feel something like that, that, mm. and when he's, when he's with the ghosts, they celebrate him. He's the man, he's the caretaker. He, he gets this like total energy from it. That's oh. so, I got to read this book. Uh, that's a brilliant segue into a, a bit that a small bit, we don't have to, I for, almost forgot about it, but in the beginning, wife, uh, Wendy. scary lady, Wendy, <laughs> Shelly Duvall, she does Wendy, have a Shelley poor Duvall. thing, the poor thing, I, unique I appearance to her. Yeah, I, I, she's not ugly. She's no, just, I can, you know. I can see her looking attractive somehow, but just not in this film. Um, it like there's it's the, any the, she's reading Catcher in the Rye in the beginning. Um, which is um, has more to do with what you were just talking about now than maybe necessarily anything in the movie. But uh, well, the feeling that everything is phony and pointless and meaningless and um, and there's just evil everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, all it's all evil all the time and fake and there's nothing good. No one, you know, is making anything good. Uh, Man, I, I'll never forget the way that Catcher in the Rye, uh, the way the author and the character describes films. Um, it was incredibly powerful and, and, and convicting to me. I had to, I had to think about that a lot. And it actually did change kind of my perspective a lot. It, with Kubrick being a film director, you know, picking the novel Catcher in the Rye for her to be reading. I, I don't know if there's a lot to read into that, but... There has um, to be. With, with a director like that, yeah. there has to be more... Too. yeah um yeah anyway uh the uh oh the um, the filmmakers you know uh beliefs and, and and everything is that's interesting um and and i feel like maybe even you were when you were talking about the documentary or just uh i can't remember or the or the way that it ends and and such the kubrick idea um you know there's no heaven and hell and there's only now um, evil lasts forever. I mean, what a, what a horrifying thought that like, there's just, there's just the time and there's human history, there's human longevity. And throughout all of it, there's just this ever present evil always has been always will be, um, which that's a very kind of catcher in the ride emotion that you get from reading that book. Um, whereas, you know, according to, I mean, if you have a different worldview, there might be a happy ending or there might be, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be this way or that maybe there's a resolution to this, or maybe there's a you know reason for this. Um, you know, that's, that's two very different and maybe even like Steven Spielberg and Kubrick as directors and as people kind of brought different worldviews essentially. Um, but uh, um, yeah, not saying one is, uh, I'm not here Kubrick, saying one is correct yeah. and one isn't, but um, it definitely gives you a different, 
picture of reality and or the documentary that you're talking about Philip, i obviously haven't seen it and it sounds yeah. like you know they're very interested in just oh i don't know the fact that human beings are evil always have been always <laughs> will be in like infinite <laughs> variety of ways shockingly horrifying wow. creative and endlessly and imaginative ways yeah, Uber yeah. darker forever exists I, like I, right. you can never get rid of evil i don't like, get yeah. the sense though that kubrick is purely cynical i, no, I think I don't he's fascinated either. by human beings i think from what i've read he just thinks like the evil we create sticks around it doesn't go to hell with us like it leaves a trace yeah and that yeah. like that um the goodness or any any amount of goodness or laughter is like it's the aberration it's the it's the rebel it's the like jester in the equation uh, as opposed to it's not good well, isn't the way things should be evil is the way things should be and good is like an accident as opposed to the other way around maybe well yeah if you you know study um not not quite quantum mechanics although the they do if you study the tau uh, uh, <laughs> they had the the tao i guess it, the tao oh yeah the t has a weird yeah it's short short sure. uh but like the you oh, know quantum. mechanics of of physics you know thermodynamics the laws of thermodynamics and entropy within a there is an system. end to the universe yeah i mean if you view the universe as a closed system it will eventually deteriorate into you know a uh, a, a complete sort of entropy i mean there's not for endless you know virtually infinite number of years but um you know it, it's on the trajectory and of course, if you view like the Earth as a you know closed system, which it's not, we we get our energy from the sun, but there's a lot of entropy and chaos that arises within the system of our atmosphere, our biosphere, um, and you can I think just oppose uh, that juxtapose that to uh, ethics and morals, and um, you know sometimes it's just it's easier to make the selfish or convenient decision that places a certain interest above a more um, sure you know yeah altruistic uh, interest um so yeah but it's like yeah and what spock says you know the the um (laughs) greater for the uh, let's see (laughs) what what's the quote exactly um um rules rules for thee but not for me (laughs) (laughs) the the um the needs of the many outweigh the, the needs, needs of the, of the yeah. few or the one um but then and that gets subverted at times as well that's not an sure. absolute right. statement i don't think yeah well in a, in a science doesn't account for morality it can't so in a purely scientific or just material not completely you know, worldview well not you can com- you can kind of you can try to construe that it does but it doesn't there's you know well, it sounds like you're making like a, a blanket platitude where there's more nuance to it than that. Well, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, can... was the Holocaust wrong? Were the Nazis evil? According to who and why? I mean, it's and, you know, it's, yeah. um, you know, yeah. uh, many people have different reasons for thinking one way or another. And, <laughs> well, no one's going to well, no one's going to intellectually argue that the Holocaust should have. But happened. I know I know what you're saying with it. Like, right. It, evil, what is evil? What is evil? What is evil? In a, yeah. in a, it's in more a, interesting in an, un, in an uncaring, 
ab- in an uncaring, purely material, naturalistic universe. And I'm not advocating for religion here, people, if you're listening to the podcast or anyone else. Well, it's more interesting saying, but, to try know. to understand why things like the Holocaust can happen. Well, of it course, it's interesting. Like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it's it's worthwhile uh, investigation. Well, is, is anything worthwhile? That's a catch in the rye mindset. Is anything worthwhile? Does anything matter? Nope. there's like there's a verse in the bible like that it's like worthless worthless like all this is worthless is it in job ecclesia ecclesiastes ecclesiastes was all of it's meaningless like before nietzsche there was ecclesiastes yeah it's brilliant um, but in the same vein of all this like in the novel jack when he is possessed by the hotel or when he is in that mode he does think he's doing his family a favor by killing them because then they will forever get to live in this hotel like he he's convinced yeah, himself that sure. and oh, his, wow. his evilness is actually like a gift you know what i mean so like the perspective of the evil person. well right i mean yeah. like you know, in his mind he's saving them there's a even in shutter island i like it wasn't didn't, doesn't the wife like she drowns her kids because she's like oh it's oh, yeah. um now they'll be our dolls forever and we can you know play like in her in yeah. her cracked mind like you know doing the right doing the right thing and Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you want to ideally adopt an ethic that prioritizes life and the, the promotion of life and the flourishing oh, you. of life. Yeah, according to me, but also in order for other people to exist and form similar ideas uh, or, you know, I, I why should other people exist? We're a plague on the planet. It'd be better off without us. Well, we are. The, the simple sorry, fact I'll is that stop. we are here. It's the anthropic <laughs> principle. Yeah. Uh, so, and yeah, we're not going to promote that people should die because then who's to judge, you know, who should die and who should. And I, and there are ethical, I guess, um, reasons to even weigh that calculus, uh, vital of the fittest man, <laughs> but yeah, you don't, there's, there's really is, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. How do you no. determine who's the fittest? Is it, is it might makes right? You know, from from you want certain... to live in Chadland, you want to be a citizen of Chadland, <laughs> you got to pass the, the test. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Unfortunately, the trajectory of our society is such that, you know, it isn't it hasn't purely been the, the, the machismo and the bravado that has, you know, allowed the flourishing. We also need, you know, great intellect and tender hearted people to care for yes. you know, yes. in, in, people in a charitable fashion. You know, I mean, if you look at Jesus who advocated, you know, caring for the, the poor, the meek shall inherit the earth. Highly subversive. Um, yeah, mindset. It, totally subversive. So, yeah, the, the whole Chad mindset is not evolutionarily advantageous in the slightest. Uh, I mean, well, in certain like, hunter gatherer pure, pure survival. Yeah. Is yeah. Like what island are you on? Because like there a, might be a place where you got to chase down the. Yeah. Right. And if really society does. collapse, I mean, you know, like whoever and it, it could be the chads or it could be the, the brainiacs who control the drones that win, you know, a societal collapse. But like it's not, mm. you know, it's it's just well, I'm, I'm not I'm just saying like at, find it's, it's, survival of the fittest means whatever fittest happens to mean at that particular time. And and I don't think I don't think that's how humans should view each other or or the world but um yeah but i think movies like this and thought processes like this like sometimes it just boils down to is like your perception is your reality and 
life or like like I don't really know how to like phrase it but it's, it's interesting mm-hmm. that these themes like can carry into like your like process on like life and death or like who should live who should die and why like the holocaust or the yeah. American Indian genocide I keep saying that I know who, lives, who dies who tells your story well American I mean American Indian is classic um exactly yeah. yeah and who and who tells yeah I'm, I'm from the 90s so I don't I mean, always remember but and the, the bible is a series of narratives of mm. people who rose up from a subjugated class to surpass the haughty and the mighty mm-hmm. who formerly subjugated them and then so, became yeah. that and then yeah. lost <laughs> it and and cycle it's, repeat it's like yes oh it's all cycles man like now they're the oppressors unfortunately but they still feel like the oppressed because the book that they look to they there's were that, you know? there's that new settlers of Catan style game called civilizations in decline have you played that civilizations have you heard decline. of it wow it's no so good i'm living it we yeah are. we're we're living yeah thank you i don't need that that's why i stopped playing Too I, close to I don't want to play pandemic anymore that i yeah <laughs> well when we were watching this movie last night we're like wait so this guy's just stuck inside for six months like no problem i've already done that yeah like, easy <laughs> i didn't go crazy did i or did i you know, was your no. was your apartment haunted by naked yeah, naked zombie women oh. I, yeah that was all, I don't know. oh it's called That's, small world the game oh small, small world yeah, yeah where you you constantly you're you're over you're overthrowing and uh replacing entire species of yeah. sentient people they, they use the phrase civilization in decline within the mm. you know the instructions that's why i conflated not, the com- yeah no that, that's cool yeah um well but it is Look at the time. It's been nearly so. Yeah, yeah. It's been so so invigorating. I love this conversation. I mean, this movie, it's been kind of probably talked to death on other podcasts, but we've got our own (laughs) unique uh, perspective. One thing I was going to You brought fun, crazy facts today. Jody, you've been utter clutch. Um, Jody, pick the next movie. I have one more. I have one more, you guys. Here, one one more Uh thing. I I just want to mention something briefly. We all have one more. I don't. I don't. I'm done. (laughs) Well, Dawson, this pertains to you. But you know how Stephen King and Kubrick clashed over this film and it makes sense because these two are highly prolific, you know, great storytellers and they would have a clash of egos potentially over things. Yeah. I... Uh, and, but like uh, one instance, well, and then we also had, you know, a man Kubrick, a visionary who knew that you have to adapt things to a medium. If you want to tell your story in an effective way, you know, on film versus mm-hmm. in a novel and your, um, your bosses on the film you just worked on shadow the conqueror uh, sat down for a, a sit down or, uh, for a Inter- documentary interview yeah. and we're talking about this very thing and they were able to come together the producer of your film and the author of the source material and and really come up with a lot of interesting ways to iterate on the original content to uh, to bring it in a whole fresh perspective to to the screen i thought that was fascinating yes uh i it's strange that you maybe don't see it more often um i think you will with the onset of um of alternate media which i'm i'm thrilled about and you know the whole kickstarter world that we live in now um which is uh instead of um a script being chosen or an, an adaptation 
rights to a novel being purchased by a studio and then thrown at a director to make money. Yeah. That's the old way. The new way is a very passionate person who loves something and knows that there's an audience for it goes to the creator and goes to the people and says, I will make this if you help me. And that's exactly yeah. what we did for this. So the, the reason it works so well is because it began with the people wanting to do the adapt, the adapting. They wanted to do the adapting. They wanted to do it faithfully and they loved and respected the source material and they wanted to, to give primacy to the original creator uh, to whatever extent they could. And then the creator, the original creator, also knew and understood that in adaptation, things might have to change and was willing to meet those challenges and compromise should the situation arise. So you just had a great situation where the adapters and the source worked together brilliantly, um, you know, and uh, I I mean, highly, highly successfully, I hope. So we'll see how it turns out in in the end. But uh, you saw this with uh, and it, it happens from time to time. Princess Bride is a great example. Um, well, the the book and the movie are are different and equally perfect. Uh, and yeah. I, I would say The Shining is the is the same, except that the author didn't like the movie um, and the director didn't seem to care about the author. Whereas in Princess Bride, William Goldman, he is he was a, a professional television screenwriter okay. as well as an author. And he wrote the screenplay um, for The Princess Bride. Rob Reiner. And was uh, present, active. And they, you know, so that they had a great working relationship, I think, over the course of it. But and obviously changed some things. But I mean, the, the uh, pit of despair in the book is the zoo of death. Okay. is like it's great in the book but is anyone mad that it's different in the movie <laughs> no <laughs> yeah, interesting well anyway yeah, so that's the answer the long answer to your question Phil. short film uh, shadow of the conqueror uh, is sort of a pilot project it's not you know they didn't have the budget for a feature length adaptation wait but... they didn't have 19 million dollars the way the no did? well <laughs> and that's and that's the hope the hope of anyone involved in uh, alternate media these days is that by going to the people and by making something out of love that they will earn the ability and the wherewithal to then make something that do more with it so mm-hmm. but it, it always it's exciting for the like audience because like i kickstarted it and like i get a poster but like more than anything like i get to feel like the project yeah, I kickstarted it. Jody, I you're so sweet. Projects. Yeah. Well, like, I, I think it's important to do stuff like that, especially in the artistic world. It's like, and you feel like you're a piece of the puzzle then because, like, sometimes producers are underrated. And, like, if the people can be the producers, like, that's a beautiful thing. So, like, if, I yes. think it's exciting for me. Wait, can uh, I yeah. do my last thing? Yeah, yes, yeah, no, it's your Mine pertains to Nelson, too. And it's, it's, a, it's an oh, acting tip. Guys. It's an acting tip from Jack Nicholson. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's okay like, to use your eyebrows you if you're Jack Nicholson. Sorry, oh you, you gosh, continue. But yeah, that's A. And this is B. Um, he picked his least favorite food when it was time for him to film his scenes. And for a month, he only ate cheese sandwiches, which is his least favorite thing to eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, so that he would be an agitated, angry, hungrier person okay. and bring that to the screen. And I feel like it really, really worked. So I hope Dawson in the next couple of weeks, like you'll think about what food you hate and just really commit to that oh next time you my have scenes to film good heavenly all like it made him angry so angry that he was just yeah. eating these if, sandwiches if i was eating only asparagus during the shooting of a film i would be rage uh, yes oh 
<laughs> Thank you, Jody. Uh, I am going to take that one to heart. Um, wow. Well, so that's, then, that's what, it. Wow. Okay. And uh, <laughs> if it's for live action rendition of Veggie Tales, it'll be all the more appropriate. Ah, Junior. Yeah. Is, is that is that Mario oh, movie? Uh, the Super Mario Brothers anim an animated movie? That's what Chris I heard. Pratt? That's okay. what I heard. Everyone's all like going crazy about this. I the the idea that a they're making a Mario movie seems long overdue, and then b that Chris Pratt's playing and is like, yeah, okay. I mean, he's a he's a he's an A list com comedy go to, and why? So why not? I'm I'm cooler with him just doing a voice. I I'm not yeah. so sure about <laughs> yeah him pulling a Hoskins, um, Bob. Ho oh, you yeah. oh, if it was live action, I yeah. heard it's animated. So yeah. I, I, that makes sense. So then that that's the only thing that makes sense. But <laughs> Every, yeah, Chris Pratt in the suspenders and the red hat. It's a me. Where's the yeah. Any, any, and, yeah, like, like literally anyone could do an, it's any. Me. Yes, exactly. So maybe he'll. But bring we something. will be reviewing it like in full. Like, oh, to, to be I true. can't wait. For or, that or is day. he going to do the Philips CDI? He's going to do the Philips CDI. <laughs> show was nice to the princess to invite us over for a picnic gay luigi <laughs> luigi look yeah where's a freaking gabagool it's tony toast it's to anyway all right well, anyway so that's the shining what... and luigi yeah i'm glad we did an awful movie jody i can't thank you enough for suggesting it and felt yeah. for uh green to do it i mean obviously a, no problem with animation being the focus but getting off the beaten mm -hmm. path especially for spooky season um mm -hmm. yeah great great and uh, i think like yeah. we'll for sure be back with dune october 22nd so like we'll be having to do one more live action during this season because like i'm a huge dune freak and like that's going to be what we have to talk Good. about another literary Tony, spotlight you yeah. wow that's i can't wait to see it dune yeah I, um, I get like chills watching the trailer sweet have you been a fan of the book for a long time uh yeah since high school it was my first sci-fi and i feel like for a lot of people it was their first sci. well i don't know have you guys we don't have to talk about that tonight but no, yeah, it, yeah. it's one to, I, to think about and to talk about if you haven't read it try to read it in the next three weeks so we can okay, talk about i it. i really should I have, I, need, it on, uh, I have it on audible okay uh, I, need I need to, to start it but i'll i'll binge it here so <laughs> that's okay i'll bring in the like how the novel was different and you guys can talk about the tech i wish i could read still <laughs> social yeah, media world... destroyed my brain <laughs> uh, you didn't notice it but your brain uh, did but your brain did well jay that was the shining <laughs> Thanks Yay! so much. No, um, <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you so much, Jody Dawson. Do you want to plug social media? Jody, I'll start off with you. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm I'm on social media and right now, like I'm really trending on TikTok. So you can follow me there. It's Jody Pulaski 47. And it's a lot of princess content, but like if you like that, come on. Awesome. Over. I'm gonna tell Jillian to look you up. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to. What you do? Yeah, do you want to promote anything? Dawson, you have to plug something. Uh, yeah, no, I, I absolutely will this time. Um, so check out uh, uh, the YouTube channel Shadowversity if you're interested in fantasy, medieval, uh, anachronism, um, content or writing, creative advice, world building ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, and then productions Diratia if you want updates on Shadow the Conqueror and all things pertaining to that um short film that's uh, it's spelled diratia d-i-r-a-t-i-a sure. but they're quebec french uh, canadians um 
And then uh, uh, also Hidden Falls, the pilot episode of another example of, uh, you know, people not waiting around for people to give them a chance, but taking the chance into their own hands. Um, Me and a bunch of friends uh, may are, are in are developing and currently filming a fantasy web series called Hidden Falls. The pilot episode is available now. It will be quite some time before any further episodes are out. Um, and they will all be better than this first one. But yeah, check it out. Just YouTube Hidden Falls episode one. The yeah. King is dead. That did just it's go on live. IMBD. I just pulled it up. It's IMBD. Oh, there it is. Okay. <laughs> um, Look at and, that. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw up some links in, in the description. <laughs> uh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, Shadow versus Shad Brooks is the name of the author who wrote Shadow of the Conqueror, uh, now being adapted for the the small screen. Well, uh, thanks again. Uh, and we for... were all using Steadicams on Hidden Falls, Shadow of the Conqueror, lots of Steadicam. So thank you, Shining, for Garrick Brown. We Garrett love Brown. you. Europe. May you all shine. Uh, next up. Uh, oh, <laughs> let's come back for Dr. Sleep. Dr. Sleep. <laughs> yes. Oh, I need a sequel. I, I haven't seen it. I haven't either. And I'm like pumped now. I love that there's a sequel to this movie. It's it seems. Good. It's the story well, okay. of Danny, I think, and Danny yeah. in adulthood. We don't With have to you do and it McGregor. Next, but, yeah, I heard. I've heard that it's. It's yeah. a sequel. Are you going to read the book? Because I mean, that I couldn't find it in Target, so like I have to wait okay. a little bit. Because like I guess I only go to Target. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we should put it somewhere on the agenda. I know we don't have to just do live things, but it is the it is the season of scares, and um, these fit into that. I will um, hand my my mom, who's a hairstylist, a photo of Danny, and tell her to replicate the. The wonderful Prince Valiant do on that kid. Uh, it was all the rage back in the 1980s. I think this movie started a trend. And all the rage in the 1430s. So, <laughs> all right. Anyhow, trends come back. Uh, uh, well, um, thank you all so much. Thanks for listening to uh, those who are tuning in right now to the Thoughtcast Conversations about animation. You can find us thoughtcast.com on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, all the rest. And, um, Find me, Philip Elke, at Philip Elke on Twitter and Instagram. Find Thoughtcast at Thoughtcast on Twitter and Instagram. You all have a magical day. Have a wonderful week. Warm hugs. Warm hugs.